Imagine being able to ask any question about church issues and practices at any time. Imagine getting a response in 24 hours or less. Imagine a team led by Tom Rayner answering your questions. It's like having your own church consultant on staff, and it's only $14.97 per month. That's only 49 cents per day, and there's no long-term commitment. You can try it today at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. You'll also get a free virtual staff meeting led by Tom Rayner every single month. Again, join us at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. Got church questions? Get church answers. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to another episode of EST, the Established Church Podcast by Established Church Pastors for Established Church Pastors. This is Micah Fries, and I am not accompanied this week by Sam Rayner and Josh King. Love those guys, but we're actually in the studio today with a good friend of mine, Dr. Desmond Henry, who I'm going to introduce to you here in just a second. Uh, Des is actually visiting for the week, and we thought we'd take an opportunity to spend some time uh, on the microphone with Des. Des is actually a pastor and a professor in Johannesburg, South Africa. You'll hear in just a second when he speaks. He's native South African, and uh, and so he's working actually in a church revitalization effort in an established church uh, in on the outskirts of Johannesburg. Right now, the Ridgecrest Family Church. He is uh, his title is the registrar at the Baptist Theological College and Seminary in Johannesburg, South Africa. The registrar for them would be kind of the equivalent of a provost at one of our institutions here in the U.S., so basically the primary academic officer of the school. And uh, we're really, really glad. Des has been with me for a few days. He's actually going to be leaving today. We've enjoyed having him with us, but we're really glad to have you here on the podcast, Des. Thank you, Micah. It's a great joy to to be here, and thanks for hosting me. It's going to be. Uh, we're glad to have hosted you so far. This is going to be a fun episode. Des is married to Laura. He's got three daughters, two of which are twins and young. So you're tired. Very tired, quite often, <laughs> I must say, especially with girls, man, they're, they're intense. Yeah, that's right. And, and they so talk a lot. Des is um, leaving here today to travel to Chicago, where he will help uh, do some teaching and be a part of the, one of the conferences, the Amplify Conference up there with Dr. Ed Stetzer, and then going from there to D.C., and then going from there to New York City before you fly back home to South Africa. The long flight. No, you're flying through Germany, so it's not quite as long. Not too bad, but yeah. still long. Long flight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Des, let, let's talk about this. Um, we want to talk about the established church, and we want to talk about some of your experiences in particular leading the established church in South Africa and uh, how that sort of is distinct, the particular challenges that you experience and, and uh, that you're walking through. You've actually written an article on your website. By the way, his website is desmond-henry.com, desmond-henry.com. You can read an article he's written called The Future of Ministry in Established South African Baptist Churches. Talk to us a little bit about just the general climate. The majority of our listeners have never been to South Africa, probably know little about it. Talk to us a little bit about the general climate of churches and Christian work in South Africa. Right. Thanks, Mike. I think one of the 
one of the, the things that we're seeing in South Africa is that uh, established churches um, are losing ground generally in South Africa. Okay. There's a sense of plateau and, or, and, and even serious decline, certainly within our own denomination, the Baptist Union of Southern Africa. We've seen a lot of decline in, in mainline or rather established churches within, within our context. And uh, a lot of growth in Pentecostal uh, environments and in, in, in environments where there's been a hybrid of either American prosperity uh, and uh, local Christian teachings or in ancestral worship and, and stuff like that. So that, that tends to affect some of the churches in, in our context. So what, what Des is you know, talking about here is basically syncretism. He, he, some sort of, he, he calls it a hybrid, it's a syncretistic worship yep. merging American prosperity gospel with uh, local African religions. When I was a missionary in West Africa, we saw quite a bit of this as well, all the way across the continent. Now, even with that being said, Des, what God is doing on the continent of Africa is tremendous. I mean, it really is powerful, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, as a missiologist, uh, some of my research uh, and research out there indicates that by 2025 or 2030, uh, we will see four out of every 10 Christians globally uh, on the continent of Africa. And so there's been a significant shift in the gravity of the Christian faith from north to south. And uh, and so the, the sort of center of Christianity is no longer in, in the west, but in, in Timbuktu in Africa as an example. That's right. So great growth happening and a lot of potential. And so I think the the established church has a very crucial and important part to play. And often speak about uh, the fact that in South Africa, we're between between danger and opportunity. I think that's kind of where we, we rest at the moment. So talk to us about, you've actually written before 10 considerations regarding the future of the established church. Talk to us a little bit about how you see the established church moving into the future. What does it look like to think... Um, to think in such a way that you can help lead the established church in your context in Johannesburg. We ought to mention just geographically mm-hmm. for many of our listeners who maybe walk up to you and say, hey, do you know so-and-so in Africa? <laughs> Africa as a continent. Remember, Africa as a continent. U.S. as a country. Africa as a continent is four times the size of the United States. It's a massive continent. Huge numbers of people. And you're all the way in the south, the southern tip, southern Africa. Johannesburg is uh, the capital of South Africa is real close to Johannesburg. And Johannesburg itself is 10 million people, right? Right. So our metropolitan area has about 10 million people that reside in it. And uh, and we also have probably about 6 million people in a city about an hour north of us called Pretoria. And so it's, it's very urban. It's, it's predominantly uh, sort of metropolitan, cosmopolitan sort of environment. And so that's where I come from. That's my context. And, and Pretoria is the capital, am I right? It is indeed, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then, uh, and, and of course... The established church and just culture in general in South Africa is dealing with um, ramifications from apartheid, the ending of apartheid. Um, what year did apartheid end, Desmond? Well, democracy in South Africa sort of began in 1994 when okay. we had our first democratic elections. And okay, so that's, so that's close to that same time. Correct, frame. Yeah. absolutely. So apartheid, for those who remember, massive racial segregation between black Africans and uh, white Africans and now, of course, they're still dealing with ramifications of those racial tensions uh, much more recently in the past than, say, the civil rights movement here in the U.S., which was 50s, 60s, 70s, and continuing on in today. So all of that is your context. Um, you're in this massive continent. You're here in a very urban, very progressive, very modern city. What does it look like leading the established church forward in your context? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is uh, is that our past has definitely not prepared us for our future okay. in many senses. So when I grew up in the church, it was fairly homogenous. And, and, and today in, in South Africa and in Johannesburg and in any major center throughout our country, 
um, there is a, a real sense of um, of diversity in, in so many in, in so many areas. And so we're definitely not in Kansas anymore. And there's there's so much that has shifted demographically speaking. And so we, we need to embrace this kind of fresh start and, and what it means for our ministries uh, within established churches. And so as neighborhoods change, uh, some of our churches tend to react to that and kind of become more isolated and insular. They have a tendency to protect themselves against uh, the onslaught of culture and, uh, and so have a kind of cruise ship mentality. You know, let's, let's keep everything tight, keep everything in. And uh, as long as people keep coming to us, we don't have to engage with them uh, in, in any way. Um, out in the community, and so that's one of the challenges that we that we face. I love that you used an American colloquial phrase. We're not in Kansas anymore. That was well done. Yes, Des. contextual. I have that's to be contextual. Context- I should have mentioned at the beginning that Des, not only with all of his uh, impressive credentials, Des is a missiologist professionally. That's his particular field of study, and is one of the few South African missiologists with a professional terminal degree in missiology, uh, PhD in missiology. And so, anyway, uh, appreciate your contextualization there. Good, I'm glad it's helpful. <laughs> yeah, so so I think in that way, the the past in South Africa is very similar to the past in the United States. There's the church certainly in the US. very good links there. There yeah. really are. There's a lot of similarity between the two. You said the past has not prepared you for the future. That's mm-hmm. absolutely true for us. And what happens for so many of our churches in the U.S. that I think is similar in South Africa is we want to remain in the past. Uh, a past, as a friend of mine used to say, if the 1950s ever come back, we're really we're well ready. equipped to mm-hmm. handle it. Uh, but the 1950s aren't coming back. So when you think about leading, you're leading a church. Does that? How many years old is is uh, Ridgecrest? Ridgecrest is about 16 years old. 16 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, what's interesting about Ridgecrest Family Church, where Desmond uh, is leading, I preached there about a year and a half ago and got to see what's happening. I'm thankful for what God is doing there. Des was actually part of the church planting team six year, 16 years ago to mm-hmm. plant it. Church grew, then it went into a period of decline. Correct. And now you're in there seeing growth again. In fact, they're getting ready to build a new facility because they've. Uh, your auditorium seats 200, I believe. Correct. And yes. you're running 250. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in one service. So it's. <laughs> I remember when I preached, it was wall to wall. Everybody was there. That's exciting. So how do you help a church like Ridgecrest, with many believers who grew up in a in a context that prepared them for the past and not the future? Mm-hmm. How do you help lead them to a viable future? Well, well, I think one of the one of the things we're seeing in in our particular context is that people in our community don't care what kind of church we are in terms of denominational affiliation. Okay. So we're called Ridgecrest Family Church, uh, although we're a Baptist ministry in a Baptist church. Sure. Uh, so people are coming to us not because we're Baptist or, or whatever, you know, but because they, they need help and they're, they're hurting. They've got issues that need to be resolved. And so one of the things that, that we've come to understand is, is that we're, we're a, a missional church. Uh, we've got to reach out to the needs of our community. We've got to be sensitive to the ways in which uh, God is moving in our community, to the hurt that people are going through in, in our society. And, and part of that has been helpful in, in kind of impacting them in a meaningful way. And so we're, we're engaging with uh, local people in our community. Uh, we're in schools. We're involved as much as we can be uh, to bringing a positive uh, change and to be the light of the gospel in our, in our community which I think makes a real difference for us. So let's talk about, I mean, you've listed on this on this uh, blog, and we'll put this blog in the show notes, but you've listed um, uh, that uh, you've got these 10 different sort of realities or considerations regarding the future of an established church. You mentioned one in particular I think that's helpful um, about being a sending church, that basically right. you've got to create a culture of sending Absolutely. in your church. How are you taking this... Um, 
you know, this what we would call in the U.S. sort of a normative-sized church, mm-hmm. uh, actually a little larger than a normative-sized church even in the U.S., about 250 people. How right. are you leading this place to think of themselves as a sending church? Well, I, I think one of the, the things that, that we do is as leaders, we talk about it quite often, and uh, we, we are very clear on what we believe and what we don't believe, how we practice and what we, what we don't do. And so our desire is that we, that we captivate the imaginations of our people by, by kind of highlighting the real needs in our community um, and, and doing that in a way that, that inspires action, inspires participation. And so we've got a number of people that are involved in a, in a number of ministries. In fact, I always frame it to our leaders. We have more volunteers now than what we had church members four years ago. Yeah, that's remarkable. Which is, which is really great to see. And so we create opportunities for people to serve and get involved. The ministry is not controlled by the leadership. Mm-hmm. And so ministries at grassroots level, which has always been helpful for our church, uh, in kind of growing and, and seeing things move forward. I guess it's pretty unique in the sense that I am the interim pastor. Um, and uh, so I'm able to say things probably that pastors that are paid full time in the local context may not be able to say, may mm-hmm. not be able to do. Uh, and so I have some credibility there, which I'm very grateful for in, in doing that. But we have an amazing team that's that's around me, uh, pastor, pastors and, and volunteers, uh, that serve and give of their time and uh, and that really helps us in, in in moving forward within our community and uh, we also are very careful at, at not over committing and so we're not trying to do everything you know be every everyone's answer to everyone's question or problem uh, but to be strategic about what our, our, our needs are and how our church can actually meet that within our community and instruct in a very effective way. An example is our children's ministry. So when, when I got there, um, we kind of doubled the, the children's ministry immediately with our three kids. Uh, <laughs> and so we went from sort of two or three to six immediately. So that's that's great church growth right there. That's exactly right. <laughs> Biological church Biological growth. Biological <laughs> church growth. And what we've seen is, is that that is grown by 10 or 15 fold which has been absolutely amazing because every event we have from christmas carols to easter uh, every major event that we have we ask what are we going to do for the kids uh, how are the kids going to be involved because our philosophy philosophy has always been uh, if we engage the kids the teenagers youth young adults um, they, they're going to bring their families and uh, it's going to create a healthier environment for us Christmas for you, although, is very different than Christmas for us, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's the Southern Hemisphere, so you're uh, in the no middle of summer. No white Christmas. No white Christmas. No white Christmas for you, unless you're talking about the beach, the sandy uh, the sandy beach, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's uh, continue talking. You, you, As we think about this sending culture, and, and I would argue that that's been one of the, from, just looking from the outside, Des, mm. and I don't know much, but just looking from the outside, the creation of a sending culture seems to be one of the anomalies for you, about your church. You all have recently, you're invested in work in Botswana, right? Mm-hmm. And in other places, you're sending out people to yes. engage in those work. What does that look like for you? How are you, in fact, you mentioned to me yesterday, we send out our best. What does mm-hmm. that mean for you? How do you send out your best? And how would you coach established church pastors not to retain their best, but to deploy their best? Absolutely. I think sending is, is something that's, that's tough to do because it requires sacrifice sometimes. And so when we say we're sending our best, we've, we've sent people out uh, to serve in different contexts, which have, it's been hard for us because we, we kind of need them where we're at. We need them to be involved and engaged. And, uh, and so we've been very intentional, though, about having a kingdom mindset. And so what we're building here is not our own work. We're part of the mission of God. And so a part of the sending culture is getting your theology right. 
this understanding that it's God's mission and, uh, and that uh, there's something that we have to be good stewards of and responsible for, ultimately. And so that's at the forefront of our minds. You know, when we get to, the, to meet the Lord one day, uh, are we going to be good stewards of what, what he has given to us? And so we have a number of different avenues and we try our very best to give people opportunities for service and for growth. Um, and and we, we, because of our size and our dynamics, we, we can't have, we've got 14 preachers available to us in our church. That's incredible. Now, that's quite something for a small church like I was gonna we say, have. That's 5% of your congregation. That's quite something, or yes. That's so, more than 5% of your congregation. So they don't get it preached on, on a Sunday morning. We can't do that. And so with this church plant in Botswana, um, three out of four Sundays, uh, we filled the pulpit for them. Mm-hmm. And we've helped them through this this kind of process of of launching, getting their first property, and now appointing their first pastor, which has been a, a great thing for our staff. So all of our pastoral team go there and some of our elders uh, at least once a month. Mm-hmm. And so they drive four hours, cross the border, live in a local village, and are part of this church plant in, in Gabrone in Botswana. And so that's been so helpful in, in, in bearing in mind that it's not about us. It's about God and His kingdom. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about growing our church. And it's about releasing the giftedness of people into the community and giving them opportunities to serve. And there are other avenues. Schools ministry is a good example. And so some of our, our youth pastor and, and his team preach in the context of, of local schools, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> which I think is an important avenue for service in, in our area. Okay, so let's let's talk about that for just a minute, Des, because one of the other things that I've noticed about Ridgecrest, uh, well, before I say this, how, what, what would you say was the average age of an attendee at Ridgecrest when you arrived? Man, well, there were there were forty when I arrived, and uh, probably thirty eight out of the forty were retired, grey haired people, average age, at least sixty five. I okay. would imagine. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of our listeners are going to be able to resonate with that reality. When I came to the church eighteen months ago and preached, it was packed with people thirty five and below. Absolutely, absolutely, just overwhelmed with people mm-hmm. thirty five, forty years old and below. What do you attribute to your ability to attract? younger and younger uh, new attenders baptizing people you know sending them out on mission how have you been able to reach younger generations well for us i think it's been a creative engagement with, okay. with that that sort of population segment and so we we take risks sometimes uh, we do things um, in a creative way and so we're trying to really serve in, in that sense and so uh, we, we focus a lot on some of the big event, events that we host and we, we put as, as much resource into that as we can so easter christmas mother's day father's day youth day there's a number of, of sort of big events that we we throw ourselves into every year uh, particularly around christmas time that's that's probably our biggest outreach we host a a local market on on our campus and that just reaches out into the community and people who would never come to church just arrive and we're able to foster and build relationships with them mm-hmm. but particularly what we're finding is that, that the children are bringing their parents and their grandparents yeah and so that's that plays a huge role and so if we capture the imagination of, of our young kids and our children we find that that's actually been something that has really uh, effectively engaged some of the 35 year olds because their kids will wake up on a sunday morning and will say hey dad mom wake up let's you need to take me to church mm-hmm. and uh, they would never come to church otherwise but right. they, it's interesting in our culture the kids are leading the parents that in these kinds of things so let's talk about why churches in your context and i think this is going to be transferable to our context as why are churches not reaching young adults then mm-hmm. what are they what, what what is it about the culture dna and practice of so many churches that as you described are declining in your context mm-hmm. ours is very similar 
because they're not reaching next generation. Right. Well, I think some of it has to do with the posture the church has and, and the pastor has. And so a few small things. So when I first got to the church, it was quite formal. We had a formal order of service and the pastor was expected to dress quite formally. And so I felt as the pastor that, you know, in our culture, many of our young adults and young families are quite relaxed. And so Sundays, they really want to just... Uh, uh, just hang out and chill and just be with be with their friends and families and so coming to church dressing up and getting everyone to look picture perfect just isn't part of their scene at all mm-hmm. and so to create a culture that that is inviting welcoming um, has been part of what we've done and so we've we've done all sorts of things to try and create a culture where, where even the church building and the facilities are, are not overwhelming for a first-time guest uh, there's this parking available for them where they need to to come and typically they would arrive later than, mm-hmm. than normal mm-hmm. and so we want to make sure that there's parking available for them that they, everything is, is, is well signed and so they can see where they can come in where the facilities are those those small things matter and yeah. so from the point when people arrive on your property uh, to probably about five or six minutes into the service they're really making up their mind about who you are mm-hmm. and whether they can connect with you and so one of our real challenges at the moment is what you, you guys would be familiar with, closing the back door. Yes. And so we have hundreds of visitors uh, every year that, that come through. And so our key thing is how do we retain them? How do we, how, do we, how do we close the back door? How do we ensure that they come and stay? And so one of the things that we've started is called a connect dinner. And so what we're finding is a lot of young families uh, freak out when the pastor calls to say, hey, can I come and visit? <laughs> right, right. And in our context, they ask, they, they usually, the pastor in the past would come with the deacons and they collect tithes and offerings oh, and all kinds of those crazy things. And so a pastoral visit is something to be feared in South Africa. And also having people in your home is a, is a scary thing in our context. Uh, it's not as safe as the U.S. and there are other challenges we have. And so we have a connect dinner at least six times a year where we invite uh, church leadership, uh, some random people from the church, mm-hmm. uh, as well as first-time guests to a dinner. Mm-hmm. And so we, in, in, in sort of 30 minutes, explain the history of the church, some of our core beliefs, because, I mean, we get people who are Roman Catholic, Methodist, uh, who are just sort of cultural Christians that would come along. Uh, and then we have a meal with them, and, and it, it is a whole lot of fun. We do all kinds of crazy activities and, mm-hmm. and just make it a light and fun evening where people uh, who are 35 and, and under would realize, well, actually, the church is not as, as formal, as stuffy, as boring as what we thought. Right. Right. These are real people. And so we, we, we try and be uh, authentic in all that we do and not present a perfect picture uh, of what our lives are like, um, you know, which they really aren't. That's encouraging. I think that's good. I, I think the common thread through almost everything that you've said so far, Desmond, has been intentionality. Mm-hmm. You've been very purposeful in what you're doing and how you're leading. Let me talk to you. One of the things you say in this article that you wrote is that a rut eventually become, becomes your grave, mm-hmm. right? Um, this is the way we've always done it, that sort of thing. So when, when, you, when you say that, I, I think there's two sides to this coin. One, I think there can be a, I think tradition can be a good thing. It can be very rich. It can be very meaningful. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, but it can also become void of meaning. Mm-hmm. And then, as, as you've said here, it becomes your grave. How do you celebrate an established church, some of the histories of the church, mm-hmm. without, allowing, without allowing the church to become stuck in a ritualistic sort of rut that ultimately leads to the demise, the, the grave, as you describe it, of the church? Absolutely. Well, I think the, the, the first thing is that we have to celebrate the right stuff. 
So our, our history is great, and our history is, is quite rich in terms of, of people and their, their desire to, to see growth and to see the kingdom of God expand within our context. And so we often speak about what we call the miracle of Ridgecrest, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the, the way in which God has started this work and sustained this work, which we view as absolutely miraculous. And so we celebrate that. And so as a family church, we honor uh, all of those members who were foundational members constantly uh, from the platform in, in, in as many ways as we can, we celebrate that. Every year we celebrate our anniversary in a, in a big way and we try and highlight some of, some of the historical things that have happened that have brought us this far. Um, but what is quite interesting is that uh, we see um, the, the building that we're in currently as, as almost the rebirth of the church. Right. And so although we're 17 years, 16, 17 years old, um, we uh, we basically uh, moved into our building about five years ago, and so that kind of is the the rebirth of the church, and we saw massive growth from from that point onward. And so we we, we celebrate those kinds of things, but we also look to the future, and we've we've got a, a great vision and strategy uh, in terms of where we're moving f- forward, and and so we call it uh, Vision Twenty Twenty, and it's made up of five, ten, fifteen, and twenty. And so we've tried to create a, a simple. Uh, yet comprehensive uh, plan on how to engage our communities. And so what we've done is in this 5, 10, 15, 20 plan, within five years, that's the five, we want to reach five suburbs immediately around our congregation. And so we we want to be a neighborhood church. We want people to be able to walk to church on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so our plan is to be a medium-sized church, but a multiplying church. And Mm so within two or three years from now, we want to see a, a vibrant church plant happening in our community uh, our church is quite resilient let me let me explain that a bit when we decided that we needed to plant a church i was based at another established church who this year celebrated 80 years of ministry right. so quite similar to to sure. in, in similar that sense mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, we wanted to plant a church and they said to us go ahead you, you can plant a church in your own time with your own money and don't complain that's right. and so that's that's how it was started and, and we've realized that that is, that is not the, the best way to start a church ever, really. Mm-hmm. And so we want to set that up and prepare uh, to plant another church. And we figure that we could grow to our size quite easily within about uh, 18 months if we plant out from where we are. And so five years, five suburbs, 10 would be 10 new home cells, 10 new ministries established within mm-hmm. this period of time. Mm-hmm. And we're very much on track to that. And so as the church grows, there is a, a resistance to the changing of community. Right. And so people in a smaller church know each other, love on each other. There's a great relational connection, which is often lost uh, as the church grows. And so we, we're very intentional as the church grows larger to, to focus on smaller points of connection whether it be in ministry or in home groups, which in our context have been very helpful in connecting people. Mm-hmm. And so we currently have about uh, seven different home groups that meet on a different time. Um, my home group is usually in, in our home, and we meet on f- uh, on a Wednesday from 5.30 until 8 o'clock. And, uh, and we do so, uh, we gather around for a meal together so people come straight from work, don't have to go anywhere else. But we, we leave at eight because we've all got young kids and we right. want them to get to bed. Sure. And so we've kind of been flexible with that, where others meet from seven till nine or ten at night and, and those kinds of things. Fifteen has been our goal to see the church grow by 15% per year. And we realized that we'd undershot that mark in the first year. We grew 15% per quarter, oh which word. was quite spectacular. Yeah, so that's remarkable. we had to kind of revisit that and, mm-hmm. uh, and see how we, we, we look at that specifically. 
And then 20 uh, is, is the big component of what we do, a serious focus of, on those under the age of 20 years of age. And so that was uh, some of the focus of what we had. And so our intentionality is driven by our strategy, which is owned by our leadership as a whole. And so every leader, every person involved in any ministry uh, understands what the vision is. And we've all agreed on that. And we're working towards that and moving towards that one goal. And so that vision and our mission determines our ministry. And I think that's a good and healthy way to, to operate. Dr. Desmond Henry is our guest this week on EST. Thankful for Des, a pastor, professor, church planter, father, husband, all in uh, in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're glad that you could be here in the U.S. for us. We're excited that our listeners are going to get introduced to you. Those who may not know you yet, Des, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks, Micah. Appreciate it. As always, remember to tune in. And if you could like, share on social media, on iTunes, the EST podcast. Also, don't forget about our upcoming uh, EST church conference which will be our first annual in october in uh, the dallas fort worth metroplex you can go to estconf estconf.com and uh, get more information about the conference you get a discount if you bring your whole staff with you in fact it's a really low cost if you bring your whole staff with you i hope you'll plan on coming we'd look forward very much to seeing you there in dallas and uh, until next week i hope that the lord blesses you as you continue to lead in and serve among the established church You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com.